another animated series. And that cat is black and white, and the character Ruby, and she wears all black clothes with a, like a white coat. And it's like, we are not creative when it comes to that at all. Um, welcome to uh, New World Brasscast, if you're joining us. And uh, we are here with Dr. Jen Oliverio. Uh, she's the assistant professor of music in applied trumpet at Oakland University. Welcome, Jen. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. So you're not actually in Michigan right now. Where are you again? No, I'm visiting family. Um, I grew up outside of Rochester, New York, and now we're living in Rochester, Michigan. So we just kind of made our way from uh, Michigan to New York for a couple of weeks to visit family, and then we'll be heading back to get ready for the upcoming school year. Very cool. When do they get When do they get started up there? After Labor Day. It's a pretty late start. That that's northern schools for you. Mm-hmm. Well, when do yours get done? Yeah. What's what are yours down in in uh, North Carolina and Florida then? About two weeks before that, mid mid August. Colleges and 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 school, regular schools like like public schools. You know, you know between between the fifteenth and twenty twenty fifth. You know, I just realized you're asking me a question that I should know the answer to. Uh, the school I teach at starts on the 16th, and the school I'm going to is starts on the 23rd. And yeah, I've no schools start the week before that. Really, I have no clue. I have no clue when schools start out here yet. I my kids in preschool. I still have another year before I have to pay attention to that. And I'm not teaching college at the moment. So I'm completely out of the loop on this. Isn't it crazy how your life just, especially in you, if you work in academics, just remains around the academic calendar. Like you graduate your senior year and you're like, I'm done with that. And then you go into college. You're like, okay, well, hold on just a little bit longer. <laughs> and then like, right. cause like, it's still, I don't know if it messes with anybody else, but it messes with me when people are like, yeah, January 1st is the beginning of the year. And it's not in my, like, it's the not in my brain. Like August, right. You know, right. Yeah. Well, it's, it's hard to get out of that because, um, most art, art series, you know, they go September to June or July, yeah. you know, with, you know, orchestras, like the, the whole world seems to go seasonal like that, you know, like they, and it follows and mirrors the school calendars. So I've, I've never gotten, gotten away from that, but it, it, the corporate world does function a little bit differently than that. You know, it is strange. Yeah, I think I think uh, after leaving Rowan in the middle of a pandemic, I think last year I didn't really realize that the school year wasn't, you know, that I wasn't for the I think for the first time, like ever, <laughs> I wasn't linked to the school year. I think this year is the one of, is the is the one I'm going to feel that I'm that I'm not like teaching at a school because COVID just messed everything up so much that I never really, you know, paid attention to that. Jennifer, did you have to get your, go to your job during the pandemic? Yeah. So I, well, uh, I applied for the job and did my, my final round of interviews in December of 2019 and was offered the position in January. And so we were like, yes, of course. Um, and I would still say yes, of course, even if I knew everything that I know now, but, um, uh, we moved in May to home with my family because our, our lease was up. And um, it was the peak of the pandemic around that time in Detroit. So it didn't seem like a good time to move with uh, then eight month old. 
So we moved in with family and then ended up moving to Michigan in July of 2020. So and yeah, we found we our apartment on a YouTube link. Uh, they weren't showing any places. So we had to just kind of watch a walkthrough. That was the best we could do. Yeah. And, and what did your first semester happen online or in person? It was hybrid. Um, it was kind of at the discretion of the instructor, depending on what you felt comfortable with and what your students felt comfortable with. We were very fortunate because I was able to teach the majority of my lessons in the concert hall. And so I did um, bi-weekly, bi-hourly <laughs> teaching. So it gave me some extra aerosol dispersal time. I would just kind of trade like on and off uh, with my students. And it felt like the best of both worlds, um, you know, getting as much time as possible with them on Zoom lessons, but also being able to hear them live. Yeah, it's what an awful transition time into a new gig. It's like, you know, I know people who do like became like traded, changed schools for, as band directors and went a whole year, almost three quarters of a year before they got to meet any of their students in person. You know, can you imagine running a band program from scratch and not knowing anybody and having to do it all? <laughs> the insanity, you know, so I can imagine the transition into a new job under those circumstances would have just been insane. It did was you, definitely did a challenge. It at least, did it get you out of any onboarding process things that maybe? Like, was there any, no benefit to it? Okay. Well, well they were very <laughs> thorough about the onboarding. So I was actually very grateful. I did um, some extensive, um, like, uh, teaching online stuff. And I joined um, a first-year mentorship program. And so it was all really helpful. Um, but I would definitely have loved to have some friends. You know, if you meet people in person, it makes it a lot, you know, you feel like you can actually make some connections. So. It's finally happening. Don't worry, I'm not alone yeah. anymore, but it was a tough transition for sure. I, I totally get it cuz we are we were in the same boat. We were we were moving uh we moved out in March and then we moved in with my parents uh and we we could do um the first round of of um looking at houses was was done through like a live chat type thing like FaceTime or, or whatever on the, the real estate agent's phone. And then we would see it. And then we, we brought it down to, I think three houses that we saw like in person, but then like the real estate agent would like go up ahead and like open the door and then like get out of the way. And then we would go in. It was really strange. And we also, you and I have something together, uh, uh, the same as well, because we both had had pretty little ones. Uh, when we were moving and it was like, how are we supposed to do this? Um, it was impossible. Um, like yeah. packing took a month. It was just such an extensive process and to have, um, like we had a lot of like emotional support, but in terms of actually physically having people there, like Patrick mm -hmm. and I, my husband, um, would just kind of trade off and um, between watching Ben and, and packing everything up. And it was, it was stressful. Yeah. So how's the brass band doing up there? How did they do last year and is anything planned? But yeah, they've done remarkably well. I think um, the students are fantastic and they're really adaptive. So whatever circumstances, they've been really flexible um, and they work incredibly hard and have been super prepared for everything. Um, they've had a similar hybrid experience where they'll do uh, like online sectionals and rehearsals and stuff like that. And then in-person sectionals with all of the safety parameters and all that stuff. We had some outdoor concerts and rehearsals and had a, an outdoor stage built so that we were able to do the second half of the school year 
uh, exclusively outdoor performances, uh, which we were very fortunate to have, and that was really great. Um, so they've done really well. They submitted for the Corey competition, and they came in first uh, in the university division, which was so Yay. exciting to see. They're so cool and awesome. <laughs> so yeah, it's, I mean, I think you all under you you all get it as as people who love brass banding, but it's literally a dream. Like the fact that my job correlates with um, being able to work with brass band students is just such a it's a special place. I remember when that job was posted, and and like a whole bunch of us were like, "Oh man, I can't wait to see who gets that." <laughs> like to see like brass band like listed in the job description. I know. <laughs> It was funny when it was posted. <laughs> um, it went up three weeks before I had my son. And so I was like, oh, I don't know if this is going to, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can submit my application. I don't know if I could, if I got a, an on-campus interview, do a full recital um, three months after having a kid. And it ended up working out fine. Um, but for a little while, I wasn't sure if I was going to submit an application just because the circumstances were really uh, difficult and unique. How did that work out then? I... To be perfectly honest, I practiced into a, a shush mute every night from like 10 until midnight. Um, so I got there and I was warming up and I was like, dang, I sound so good because I hadn't really heard myself <laughs> out loud in person. I was like, My infant doesn't want to hear me play the trumpet. My infant wants to hang out and, you know, just like chill. He's the cutest little potato. Well, it's funny that what's the, the, um, thing that's going around on social media. It's like, uh, social life band, you know, social life plus band equals like no sleep or whatever. And like, you know, and, it, and it's just like, there's, <laughs> you add a kid into this and then there is no, there is no way to make this equation work. <laughs> oh no, 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 no. It's like juggling, but you don't know how to juggle. That's, I mean, <laughs> At least that's what it feels like for me. I'm, you know, constantly trying to to do everything. And I, f I felt like I had to come to terms with the fact that I can do all the things that I want to. I just have to be flexible about when it happens. So my schedule just, it just kind of stretches everything out. I can still do a lot of the cool stuff that I'm excited about, but I just have to be patient with when it happens. Yeah. yeah. I've been, I've been teaching, um, I've been teaching online a whole bunch. And when I discovered that I could just go to later time zones, that was like the aha moment. Cause I just move. Cause I, you know, I have to watch the the little guys all day long. And then I'm like, but I'm, I refuse to give up my stuff. So then, then, you know, we eat and then I just log on and just start teaching until sometimes 10, 10 30, uh, and then um, until school starts, um, uh, my my practice time frequently costs sixteen dollars an hour uh, because I have to have a babysitter to be able to practice, uh, which is really annoying. I mean, talking about like making um, making community ensembles and brass bands uh, accessible, more accessible to people. I mean, it's one of those things that you don't really think about, about how some people need either transportation or like childcare or something to be able to get to a brass band. Because, you know, I, I see people saying, we're accessible. We welcome all you, you know, you are free to join our ensemble. We'd love to have you. And like, yeah, but you have people who need to figure out transportation. You have people who have to figure out childcare. And, and so just saying kumbaya, everyone come to rehearsal doesn't, doesn't necessarily 
work. <laughs> Especially I'm married to a fellow brass bander. So if we have rehearsal, we both have rehearsal. And, you know, where does, what, what do you do? It's complicated, more complicated than I think I realized initially. I mean, we're very fortunate playing with uh, Fountain City to have a, a great support system. And uh, when I was living in Kansas City, I had a lot of students and parents that are of babysitting age. And so, you know, we felt very supported in that way. But it's it's a challenge that um, you don't realize is, is quite so significant until you're there. <laughs> Yeah, what uh, what kind of um, interaction do you have with the brass band? Like, what does your job have you doing with the Oakland Brass Band? Um, so I work, I uh, you know work on cornet playing with a lot of the trumpet students and um, talking about some of the differences between going back and forth on those instruments. And I'll occasionally do some sectionals. And I was slated to do a solo with the group over the summer, but unfortunately, the the timing didn't end up working out. So we're looking forward to that in the fall. Yeah, so, um, so it's kind of like a like a coach, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, that's that's cool. I, I wonder if that's going to be a trend that universities start going with, you know. As, that's as a really a, cool trend. I hope it picks up. Yeah, like can you imagine like like when you started playing with Fountain City? It's like, man, I'm going to play in this brass band. It's pretty cool, but it's a dead end. There's no jobs in this stuff. And then your job that you get is literally probably because you played in one of the top brass bands in the world. Like you, sometimes in this business, you just never know what you do that could be the thing that launches you into the next thing. That's so Absolutely. cool. I never anticipated. Um, obviously, like I've always wanted a, a college trumpet teaching job, but um, the way that you get there can sometimes be an interesting path to travel. So the fact that it happened to be through brass banding, I'm so unbelievably fortunate because I'm, I love it. And the community around brass banding is a really special one. Yeah. I, yeah. Hope, I hope that more colleges, uh, bring in, you know, have brass bands. It was it, at Rowan. It was a, it was a perfect combination. Um, and the school, the school, um, helped uh atlantic and we had a college brass band and a youth brass band and having all of those and have this having the support and and when we brought in um when we started the college brass band the level of of brass playing went way up um sight reading ability went up technical ability went up lyrical playing went up i mean i don't know if we could find a single uh, measure of progress that that didn't that wasn't impacted by by getting these these college students into a brass band it was fantastic uh so i i i when i was doing some research for a paper i wrote a while ago um, a lot of universities used to have a, a brass band um, right in the beginning of like the North American brass band, like movement, they were at several universities. And then, and then in the documentation, I, I, you know, they don't really document when, when these bands fade out sometimes. So I couldn't find, like, I couldn't narrow down a reason why there were, there were a good number of these brass bands at universities. And then they just fizzled out. And now they're coming back, but I'd love to know what happened in that meantime and when it happened, you know, why and dig into that. But I like the trend now that, that more universities are getting brass bands. Great training. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, I don't know. How do you, how do you deal with it at Oakland with the, the tenor horn situation? Cause I know it's, it's a tricky thing for horn professors 
to accept that their their students are going to play on a tenor horn and not a French horn because they get the horn players get so uppity about that mouthpiece and the, the angle and the placement, you know, and I, you know, I got to use my right hand. Yeah. What's that? People don't, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. So how, how does, how does Ken, um, sorry, it's, uh, who's the director up there? Ken Crushy. Ken Crushy. Yeah. Ken Crushy, obviously. Yeah. Um, you know, he obviously has to have some incredible support from the faculty that for the applied faculty to support that, you know, their students are going to actually participate in this. Yeah, a hundred percent. We've been really fortunate with the level of support that we have at Oakland. I think people have seen some of the positive benefits for the brass area. Um, so when you, when you see some of the brass players in wind symphony, you're like, Oh, they sound, you know, they sound really confident and strong on their instruments. They sound like they, you know, they've improved technically, they've imp- improved lyrically. And so a lot of that transfers into the other ensembles. And so the level of support goes up um, pretty significantly when you see that benefiting every ensemble across the university. Um, as far as the tenor horn situation goes, I think it takes a lot of flexibility. We are really fortunate because a lot of our students are music education students, and so they want to know other instruments. They want to adapt and learn and figure out some of the nuances of, of these instruments. Will they necessarily teach the tenor horn in a high school? Maybe not. Um, but the fingering patterns, the, you know, uh, the mouthpieces are, are more similar to trumpet mouthpieces. And so a lot of those changes and, and adjustments that they're making benefit a lot of their secondaries anyways. So, yeah. Yeah. And I, I've always, you know, had this argument with, you know, you know, with people it's like, well, do you, do you have a marching band at your school? Do, do your play kids mellophone? play mellophone? Yeah. Like that's, if if you're you're probably not okay with them playing mellophone, but you can't deny the kid the, the fact that they love to do it, you know. And, and the tenor horn is very similar to mellophone in a lot of ways, um, you know. So it's I, I always find it fascinating. Like I always thought that like one of the roadblocks to having university brass bands is going to be actually the applied faculty, um, and sometimes um, the conducting faculty who think that. You know, the brass band's going to get in the way of them getting the top players at their school rather than using the brass band as a small ensemble to build their skills so that they're better when they get in to the to the um, the wind ensemble or the orchestra. You know, yeah. so, so it's, it's faculty ego is the biggest obstacle and probably why a lot of the bands went away. Um, I know that's what happened at NC State. You know, they they got a, a, a faculty member, a director of bands there that decided that he didn't want to invest his time in that. And, you know, he wanted to build a jazz band program there. So he got rid of the brass band and built up a jazz program there. And it's just as simple as just, you know, somebody's just like, well, forget about the tradition and what we've always had here. Let's just, you know, we're going to go in a different direction. Mm. It's a, it's a, it's a, you know, sometimes it's tough, you know, you know, that, that you have to fight those battles when, when we as brass band people know that the brass band is such a great tool for developing brass players. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I, I think if we view it as an opportunity to nurture their musicianship, regardless of the instrument that they're on, like what a cool, what a cool thing for everybody involved. If, you know, if they, even if they become the greatest tenor horn player in the world, which hello, come join us. Um, you know, it, if it, it's gonna show up in their horn playing or it's gonna show up in their trumpet playing, uh, regardless uh, I, of what their main, main instrument is. Yeah, I believe that 100% as well, you know. So it's I so I have a not a bone to pick, 
but um, so Oakland. So the that's, Oakland a, that's a great way to start a, a. I don't know how else to start transition. It so the Oakland, the Oakland <laughs> University brass band, is in part responsible for why I can't have wine anymore. What? Follow me. Talking. All right, okay. So, I'm going to attempt to so, follow you. Uh, and I was curious because I remembered it was a nut. So I was, I went to JMU for my undergrad or not okay. for my undergrad, for my grad, for grad school. So I went to JMU. We did NABA 2014, 2015 while I was getting my master's. Mm -hmm. And I think Oakland was the, Oakland was the only other university there. And I think that might've been one of their first, if not their first year of doing NABA. I don't remember how it worked out or necessarily, but I do remember that it was, like there was some reason why the JMU specific students were like extremely excited to see Oakland University. And mm -hmm. Kevin, I am so sorry if you're watching this right now. Kevin Stees, I, I apologize for the events that happened after that night. Um, and we happened to all because you do the cheap college thing. So you stayed in a hotel room just outside of the city that was being hosted. And I think it was in Grand Rapids that particular year. Um, and uh our hotel happened to be right beside their hotel. So as college kids do, we go, let us party together in some sort of way. And long story short, I ended up with a with a bag of box wine. <laughs> a and bag from that, inside the box wine? Yeah, they, you know, they, they gutted it. And, um, and it was like half full. And that went inside of me. And then I was handed another one of those. I was a different color. And then that went inside of me. And then what the bus ride. Huh? 2014. Um, and so then the bus, the ride. bus ride, I'm sorry. That was my first NABA. Oh, was it? <laughs> I'm trying to place uh, it in my mind. So that bus ride back to Harrisonburg, Virginia was terrible. Um, did you guys and, leave uh, like three in the morning too, as everyone does after NABA? Oh my Four gosh. or five. So yeah, yeah, I did the tour de Franzia, long story short, and now I smell juicy juice and I, I get sick. Um, it's just the way it is, but really cool kids. They were a lot of fun to play with and it was really cool. I don't know what it was, but the JMU kids were really excited to see another university there. And then, and now that more started to show up, uh, like JMU always freaks out when they see like when other university band kids like place in a solo and ensemble type situation, or they, they place in whatever they like JMU gets they, and all the universe. I think there's like a certain camaraderie about like the 19 and 20 year olds competing at that competition. And they get so excited. And it's such a thing that I, I'm so happy to see blooming and evolving so much more because there is a camaraderie and you know, mm -hmm. all of those students, even if, you know, cause at JMU, they're not all music ed or not, not all music necessarily. Mm -hmm. um, and I assume that's the way it is at every university that has one of these things. Yep. They're going to, you know, they're going to go on and become dentists and second chair trombone players or you know, what have you. And like they, that memories and those experiences are there. I remember that vividly. I remember that night vividly. Um, and how that's <laughs> all the wine you had <laughs> over a long, very Touché. long period of time, a very long period of time. I, <laughs> and, uh, thankfully Joel Collier was babysitting me. Um, <laughs> But, um, but it, it was such a, it's, you know, it's an experience that like, I, I remember a lot of things about that NABA, but that's like the thing that jumps up, not my, not our placement and not anything like that. Um, but it, it was that those moments with other people around my age. And that's, you know, that's something that me now teaching at the university of Tampa, I want to bring my kids to experience that in, in a very similar way and that excitement of seeing other younger people involved in this art form and in that competition and stuff like that and like you, when you mentioned that you were involved in oakland i was like was that the other university that was there yeah 
the trauma, <laughs> the trauma came sweeping back. The trauma. We see that with the youth program uh, with Fountain City. Um, a lot of, you know, playing with students their age and getting to mingle and meet other people that are interested in the same things that they are. Because it's kind of, I don't know, like a specialty ensemble some, in, in certain locations in the, the U.S. And so it's when you have everyone together, it's just like the most fun ever. So I'm excited. Um, my current students, half of them have never been to NABBA um, in the, the brass band. So they are excited. They were really disappointed when it was canceled, obviously because of COVID and, you know, safety and all of that stuff. Um, but thrilled at the opportunity that's coming up this year. Yeah. So what else have you, what else, what else have you been up to uh, lately? I know that you have drum roll, you have a CD coming out. I would do. you like to talk about that? I would love to talk about it. I'm so excited. Um, <laughs> so this has been like about a year long process for me. Uh, all of the works on the album are new works, commissioned works. Uh, so I have six pieces uh, that were newly written for either and the flugelhorn and cornet. Um, and uh, I'm really thrilled with, you know, all of the pieces. I wanted to contribute in a significant way to the repertoire. I feel like um, it's a space that could use more solo works for these specific instruments and piano. And that was a space that I wanted to to kind of work into. So um, I've got to, I don't want to leave anyone out or say there. Yeah, I was about to say, we need to do some shout outs to some composers and some, yes. and some people so we can get to know some new composers. Yes, I've got uh, Andrea Hobson wrote Silverbacked Fox. Uh, this is a flugelhorn piece. It's very playful and sweet and wonderful. Um, Aaron seems excited. Yes. It makes me so happy. She wrote a piece for my album and that just, that's that makes my heart happy. <laughs> she was so fantastic to work with. Um, and I was absolutely thrilled. Actually, it was a difficult recording process, not because the piece isn't awesome, but because the piece is significantly cooler than I am. So it's got all of these like hip rhythms. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm like trying to like literally count all this stuff out. And I, I, I don't, you know, we got a really good take. I'm thrilled about it, but she's like, her writing is so cool. Um, and the next on the album is In the Cold by Lucy Pankhurst. I and love Lucy. Oh, she's wonderful. Again, such a fantastic person to work with. Um, so creative. I mean, so the things that she comes up with, yeah, the colors that she uses. Um, it was just, I, I couldn't be happier really with any of the pieces on here. Um, she's, she's actually, she's working on something more for me uh, because uh, the piece that she wrote luminaries for mm -hmm. my CD. We're all just, hey, everyone. <laughs> Let's all mention our CDs. Yeah. Um, the, um, the piece that she, she wrote for my CD, luminaries, um, is I'm going to premiere the wind ensemble version at Kent State University. Uh, we're still scheduling things. It's going to be winter, spring. I don't know. Winter, spring, summer, or fall. Yeah. Um, but yes, I, I don't know when it's going to be. But uh, it's going to be sometime. Um, but she's going to do the wind ensemble premiere. And so there was some really cool stuff that she put in there. She put like tinfoil in the piano and like euphonium mute. And basically, like I sound like a robot. It's really cool. And so Kent State said, we have a lot of percussionists. So go wild. And you can... <laughs> she's like she she was so excited so i can't wait to see what she comes up with uh with those percussionists making robot sounds that'll be pretty cool yeah she <laughs> it's a like a six minute piece and she's got me it's 
flugelhorn with flugelhorn harmon mute stem in stem out and then i've got a like a fiber mute towards the end um and it's just really really great um next on the album is elegy for karen by dorothy gates this is written in memory of her sister dorothy and, yeah it's meaningful and and um yeah. just really wonderful a really a wonderful, wonderful person. person she is she is and it was such an honor to to play this piece for her yeah um next on the album is the dark place by jen mitchell and it's got some really neat um like in the piano moments and um some quoting of oh gosh the song from willy wonka that i'm not going to remember right now uh, i don't your imagination oh yeah pure um, imagination. yeah yeah so it's got some really neat connections in there do you play into the do you play into the piano I do not play into the piano, but there's like some plucking and some oh, like cool. really intense piano moments there. Um, I can but, I can remember when I first I heard uh, what is it conditions of the solitary bird mm -hmm. uh, playing into the piano, and I remember thinking that that was like the coolest effect ever. And then as a euphonium player, realizing <laughs> that. <laughs> <laughs> all the logistics <laughs> yeah <laughs> it works works a lot better on trombone for that piece uh so yeah I've done it a few times but it's kind of like you know you're gonna like you know turn everything to make it work yeah you should just turn the piano sideways problem solved. <laughs> might be easier I just remember uh Willy Wonka the, the the only thing I can ever remember about that that is they had the, the little keyboard that came out and they use it as the, the door access to whatever. And the lady goes, that's Rachmaninoff. <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> like, <laughs> like so sure that's Rachmaninoff, everybody is like, what? <laughs> to be honest, so we've all been at concerts where someone behind you says something similar and you're like, it's just not, you're, that's not right. But I love that you think that though. Right. It's great. <laughs> I just forgot that Pure Imagination wasn't originally from Santa Clara Vanguard. As we all did. Yeah. We... <laughs> <laughs> what else is on the album? Uh, I've got two more pieces. Uh, Joel Collier, speaking of, um, he wrote Song Without Words. It's beautiful, like three and a half minute cornet solo. Um, and then finally, Kevin Day wrote the title track, Enigma, and that is a cornet and flugelhorn piece. And it's very flashy and was very difficult to work on. <laughs> yeah, Kevin's Kevin's tough. He's great. His writing's fantastic. I was yeah. thrilled with, with how it went. And then in the practice, I was like, dang it, this is so hard. <laughs> this sounds like something for euphonium, but I'm going to tough it out. <laughs> but I'm I love it. His, I love uh, the piece. I'm working on his concerto now, and yeah. I get, I got it's you. got all the notes. There's no shortage of the notes. All the notes. All the notes. Every single one of them. <laughs> In the best way, though, I, you know, I listened to it and I was like, okay, calm down. It's going to be fine. You can do this. You've played stuff like this before. You can handle it. Yeah, so. when, when do you get to release it? So we're in the last stages of editing. My husband, um, Shout out to Patrick, uh, did all of the recording and mixing and editing. Um, so it's almost done. Uh, we're hoping for a, a like around Labor Day drop date. So we're going to start a pre-order in a couple weeks. 
Yeah. So this this episode should be coming out eh, sometime mid September. So it'll it should be timed just about perfectly. So with that uh, for people now. to check out. <laughs> right. right <laughs> check so no matter what, there will be, be a link. There will be a link in the description down below. <laughs> Maybe we should put we should we should put links to all of those composers just in case you want to check out those composers um, because it's so important to work with with composers commission works um, and because you are literally expanding your instruments repertoire um, and uh, those all these composers we all know all of these composers and they are they are fantastic each and every one of them so I think that we should include those links. Um, I have on my website too. I have all of their pages hyperlinked, and then I'll have downloadable program notes with um, all of their headshots. So if you want some like really thorough information about all of them, that will also be available for you to check out as you listen to the album that you inevitably purchase and download. <laughs> I don't know if this goes down, goes down a rabbit hole that we probably don't have enough time to investigate, but um, the world of, of recording music has changed so much in the last 10, 15 years because we consume music in a very different way. Like you can see back here, all of those CDs, I haven't listened to any of those CDs in 10 years. Mm-hmm. Not one of them. And there's great brass bands, orchestras, Chicago Symphony. They're all on my computer or, or streaming on YouTube or anything like that. I, I've got all these CDs. I'm like, what do I do with those things? You know, so when you come now, it's like you obviously still have the same standards for tenure and promotion to do research and create recordings and promote yourself and do those things. So how do you transition from the CD world to the way we actually consume music now? I think you just have to be flexible and have multiple formats for downloading. I obviously want physical copies for my family and for people that really, really love to have. I think uh, one of our conductors for Fountain City says, if you ever need a a really nice $20 coaster, let us know. So, um, yeah. <laughs> but you know, it's I think it's meaningful for the composers, you know, all of them are going to get a physical copy and everyone that was a part of the artistic and creative process for this. Um and then, you know, being flexible to have um digital downloads for people that might not be within the United States or or close by because it's really expensive to ship all over the world and well, I'm uh, Maybe I'm naive in assuming people want to download from <laughs> across the world, but um, it would be really expensive depending on the country that you download from or you you purchase from. So I think being flexible about how you get your music out there. Um, and for me, this is not as much about the financial gains of making a CD because realistically, you're not making a ton of money on a CD um, and more about... Aaron and I are both like, nope. Because <laughs> oh, I, I love playing cornet I love solo literature and I mostly love collaborating with really great people and that's what this project has really been about for me I think it's it's for me it was like I had I had something to say um and over time these pieces were just coming together and I knew that I eventually wanted to do a recording and then when um I had a I had a piece that I loved that nobody knew about um and and that was the the movements were different colors 
Um, and then I worked with Lucy originally for IWBC and she put colors as the movements, the names for her movements. Um, and then I worked, uh, with, um, uh, oh, uh, oh, uh, oh, I worked on a, on a bigger collaboration called creative state. Um, and that was, um, creative states, like the emotions that you go through when you create something. And I was just like, Oh, Oh, I see these things all coming together. Um, and then I, I pulled in, um, I pulled in another piece, um, Chagallian scenes, which Dave Chagall, the, the paintings to pull it all together. And it was like, Oh, we have something here. Uh, and so when I saw all of these dots, I was just like, I really want to connect all of these dots and make it a thing. Mm-hmm. But I don't think we, I don't think we really have any of these, these ideas that we're going to make a ton of money off of uh, these recordings, but it was kind of like, I have something to say and I want to put it out there as an, as an artist, yeah. you know, yeah, especially that's, during that's a cool. time when there hasn't been as much playing. Um, you know, I, I love teaching and it's something I'm so deeply passionate about. But when all of my musical giving is um, from a teaching perspective and not as, you know, a musician, as, uh, you know, as myself, um, it, it made me want to dig into something really special. So this is kind of what that was. Wow, and it's not perfect. So- it's kind of raw sometimes. Um, it's <laughs> not a perfect recording, but I think that that's also what makes it beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so should we, you, should we turn, yeah. Hold on. So you said when you inevitable, inevitably purchased the album, mm-hmm. and uh, I am sorry, uh, audio listeners, but this was the first thing I thought of when you said, <laughs> <laughs> that is the um, first thing that came to my head. So uh, in there real fast. Um, that obviously is going to be my new album cover. My headshot is beautiful. I look great, but look at the artistic value of that. Yeah. Well, please don't, please don't credit me. I don't want the mouse coming after me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Should we should we toss it back over to Aaron? Do you have the do we have a question? Hey, so just a reminder, our audience, we uh, we are doing a question of the week. If you submit a, a, a question in our comments and or hit us up on our socials um, to let us know any sort of question that you want to ask either the regular cast or our particular guests that we happen to have, um, either it just let us know what question you might have for us. Um, we have not told anybody about it yet, so it's it's still new to this. We're filming ahead of time, so I'm making up questions now. And the question I have for this particular episode is: What is your favorite? What is your f- favorite performance moment that you've had in a brass band? And so mine is from the NABA that I mentioned earlier. Um, was when we played fragile. We played fragile oasis, mm-hmm. um, and JMU does have a tendency to be uh, one of the crowd's favorites because uh, we play louder, louder, and louder. And uh, crowd, it was a stand, it was a standing ovation before we even got, we even stood up. I think we placed like fifth, but to the crowd that as you know, that's the first time I had ever experienced that in my life. And it was just like, I had just lost everything in a house fire literally weeks before. And 
I, we were going away from that and just like playing playing that with that group of people and just how special that moment was um i will i still like i'll watch that youtube video and of course there's bleeps and bloops and like mistakes and stuff like that but that like that moment itself like brings me to tears every single time with how special that was mm -hmm. tony what about you oh uh, can you go to amy and come back to me i've got a i've got a amy how about you <laughs> oh man i'm not ready <laughs> I am, I am, uh, I'm trying to, oh man, I don't, oh, there are so many. I'm stalling for time because I don't really know. This is the definitive one. It will go into the New World Brasscast wiki our, that our fans have fan made. Um, and they will keep track of this. So if you ever say anything different, they'll make sure you know about it. Well, in episode six with Jen Oliveira, they said something different. <laughs> <laughs> This is a lot of pressure. Yeah, oh, yeah. This is like, yeah, Tony, go. You were going to say, well, mine, so go. <laughs> mine would, would change based, probably based on the day that you ask because there, there are a lot. But, but one, of, one of the highlights um, for me is that the Triangle Brass Band did a 25th anniversary production many, many, many years ago. And for that, um, for that, I, we commissioned a work by Martin Ellerby, the, the Ellerby Cornet Concerto. I'm familiar uh, with your recording with Terry Averson. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's Terry. great. I have a student working on it. Yeah, oh, it's, it's great. Yeah, we, we talked about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, yeah um, well, that, that was written, believe it or not, for Philip Smith. Um, and Martin collaborated with Philip Smith for that. And Philip was not able to do the premiere of it mm -hmm. at our actual um anniversary con concert and um by just by some crazy you know circumstance you know like like he wasn't it like it was like a month and a half beforehand that he wasn't able to that it came up something with their symphony schedule or something and Jens Lindemann ended up being filling in for him for that mm -hmm. because he was at the national trumpet competition up at George Mason and he was able to scoot down here on Wednesday to do a rehearsal, go back up there and then come down here Sunday for the concert. It was absolutely insane. But, you know, with Jens, you always get, you know, the world of Jens. And he was like, well, I'll play that, that concerto for you on cornet, but I don't do like cornet. I do flugelhorn and I do E flats prano and I do all these things. So he wrote this into playing um, dreaming of the masters which, um, you know, which, which, you know, like added 20 minutes to the program, you know, and we had to scoot and rehearse this thing up really quick, but he was, he was brilliant, you know, cause he was like, man, I'll step in and do this thing, you know, but you're going to do this for me. And I was just like, man, we'll go all over it. So playing with Jens on that, premiering this, this amazing concerto that Martin Ellerby composed for us. Um, you know, which was, a, was an interesting story on how we got to that, too, which I can talk about some other time, but it didn't really fit into this. But then, you know, we had two youth bands that played on that concert. The Triangle Brass Band played on that concert. We had past conductors from the brass band that came in and guest conducted. And we combined all three of those bands to play together as a finale for it and did uh, the Pines of the Appian Way, the finale to Firebird. Um, and, and some other things like that. And, and just conducting those things with, you know, at that time, you know, I was, you know, the director of the youth band and the triangle brass band. So that whole big mass band was all people that I, you know, that I conducted. So it was, 
it was fun. Like that was, that was a high, I mean, conducting a mass band of, uh, you know, 110 people or so, or 90 some people, you know, doing Pines of Rome, <laughs> you know, it was fun. And I've done some other mass band things with alumni with the, the youth band program before too. And they were always just big blowouts, but this was, was the big highlight for me. So today that's my answer. Mm. That's a solid answer. Okay. I, I think, I think I've come up with an answer. I can't say that it is absolutely my favorite moment, um, but it, it's solidly, solidly up there, possibly like, I don't know. Um, but uh, when, when Atlantic went to the world brass band championships, uh, we stayed in, in like a, I think it was a monastery um, and it was, first off, it was, it was gorgeous. <laughs> it was like a priory. Um, and we noticed that there was in the actual sanctuary, um, we, there was enough space for a brass band in there. <laughs> and so we asked, would we be able to play in there? And they said, well, what do you want to play? Cause we want to keep it, you know, respectful. And so we said, of course, uh, we'd like to play the brass band arrangement of amazing grace. Um, and so we, um, the, we were totally respectful of the space that we were in and we, we filled the space with amazing grace and it was fantastic. Like just knowing that you're in this space, this really, I think it was like a it was a really, really old uh, monastery, the stone walls and and uh, hearing the hearing the acoustics and just knowing the significance of the space that we were in. That was a really cool, a really cool experience. That's, that's a good one. That's a good one. That's a good one. That's really cool. Pretty good one. Yeah. Although you don't get to do or see or every, hear every day. Yeah. All right. This All right, Jen, that's the last. I am struggling with this a little bit. So we all struggled with it. This is like, it's couple though. Cause I, there are different reasons. Like there, I have of like ones that are fun favorites and then ones that are like meaningful, like your heart's like out in the middle of the stage and everyone can feel it. Um, so yeah. I would say one of my fun ones is um, brass in concert um, 2017. Uh, we went and we competed and we came in second and I was just like fangirling the whole time. There was like some of the people that I just have always looked up to as cornet players and it felt like the Grammys, but for brass band. Um, and <laughs> I was just like, uh, gosh, it was, it was really special to hear a lot of those groups live. Um, and it was just such a cool experience with the band. It was my first tour with them overseas and I loved that. And um, in terms of like meaningful, like your heart's out in the middle of the stage, um, when we played fraternity, um, two, I don't, I don't even know how many years ago, two Navas ago, whatever that was. Was that 18? Yeah. And I, I wasn't even playing principal cornet on it, but it was just like such a special, we got to the corral at the end of the piece and I could feel like the whole group, like our heart was just like, all oh, one, one experience together. And it was really, really special. Um, so that one was probably my second. Those are good yeah. ones. I heard the fraternity. That was that was really good. That was think, intense. I think we could keep going. I think you could, Aaron, you could probably ask us that question every episode and we could come up with another fantastic moment that we've had uh, in brass band. <laughs> I could. Yeah, one, yeah. One funny anecdote 
Yeah. Um, my, the first time I played with Fountain City, I <laughs> we played the U.S. Open, and I was Patrick's wife. Um, my husband auditioned first, and then they needed a bottom third cornet to play for the U.S. Open. And I was like, I play the trumpet. I can try. Um, and whoever had put – I borrowed an instrument because I didn't own a cornet. And whoever had put them back, I think it was probably a youth band person, put an E-flat cornet mouthpiece in the B-flat case. And so I played bottom third cornet for the whole first week of ever playing in a brass band with a B-flat cornet with an E-flat mouthpiece. And I was like, this sounds really out of tune. Like, maybe it's me. Maybe. I don't know what it is. Specifically. Um, 100% I just didn't know to look at the mouthpiece that I was working with. So... Was, Everyone was, could learn from my mistakes. <laughs> was, Ryan Sharp, was Ryan Sharp like, man, I wondered where that went. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So that was my first ever time playing in a brass band. And that's what we worked with. They came oh, you, out, which is good. You have certainly come uh, a right. long <laughs> way. <since then. laughs> and, and on that note, I think, uh, I think, we're uh, going to wrap up this episode. Thank you so much for joining us. We had a great time talking with you. This has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Okay. Next.